Over the last several weeks, I've been building a case. I believe, and it's not just me who believes this, uh, many pastors and Christian leaders in our area believe this, that God is doing a new thing in our day. We take the words of Isaiah 43 seriously. We believe they apply to us today, where Isaiah says through the Spirit of the Lord, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. We must stop clinging to some version of the past to which we hope to return, but we must look to God to see the new thing that he wants to do among us. And when I say what he wants to do among us, we mean in ourselves, in our families, in our homes, in our churches, and in our towns and nations. We have talked last Sunday about how important it is that we are able to perceive, to actually see the new thing that God is bringing so that we will know how to cooperate with God in the thing that he's doing. Like Caleb of old in the book of Numbers, we need to evaluate what is going on around us through the eyes of God's promise and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit because if our plans all rest on what we can see in our circumstances around us, we're in trouble. If we make our plans and, our, and establish our routines based on what we see around us, we will fail. But if we will, by the Holy Spirit, see God's new thing and cooperate with his plans for us, we will achieve the victory that he has in mind for us. We must stay in step with the Holy Spirit. And to stay in step with the Spirit requires us to pray, to stop and listen, to talk with one another, to listen to God and his word. This is the way forward. Trust that God is bringing a new day. Place yourself in a position to be able to walk into that new day by faith and with trust. But there is another component to all of this that we need to honestly address. You can't just make a decision like flipping a light switch, on, off, on, off. You turn the light on in the room, it comes on. You turn it off, it goes off. It's a clean break. We can't necessarily make that kind of a decision to step into a new posture. Some of us have really significant things that we have to deal with because of the way things are now. And I'm going to admit from the very beginning that the sermon I'm about to preach is not necessarily for all of you today, but it is for some of you today. Um, if you know that it's not for you after I get started, read your Bible or take a nap. I won't be offended. But what I'm going to say needs to be said and it's likely for more of you than we might think. Some of us are not yet in the position to be able to exercise the kind of faith needed to see the new thing that God is bringing. You remember the story of Moses and the snakes, right? 
Judgment comes upon Israel and there is an infestation of venomous snakes and people are getting bitten and they die and Moses cries out to God and, and God says to Moses, put a bronze snake on the top of a pole and tell the people if they're bitten by a snake to look up to the bronze snake and when they look up, they'll be healed. And the idea is if you're continually staring at your problems around your feet, you're just gonna get bitten. But if you trust me to heal you, if you look up to God, you'll be healed. And so the, the discipline is, can you stop looking at your feet long enough to look up to the bronze snake on the pole and receive the healing that comes when our eyes are fixed on God? And, and let's be candid. If there's a snake wrapped around your ankle that's venomous, it is really, really hard to look at anything other than that, that snake. I mean, that snake captures your attention. It captures mine. And it's really hard to trust God to look up. You almost feel like you have to shake that snake off or something to get to the place where you can trust God because the snake seems to demand your immediate attention. Let me, let me start this next section by saying this. There are times in the church where we have maybe not come right out and said it, but acted as if we believed that mental illness isn't a real thing. We need to get that out of our heads. Mental illness is a real thing. It's a real thing. It happens to Christians, okay? And, and you have to deal with mental illness as if it's a sickness. And some of the advices I'm going to give today are more in the area of emotional distress than they are in the area of mental illness. But if you're experiencing some level of mental illness, that needs to be treated by a doctor, right? We're not, when our bodies are not healthy, we go to a doctor, we get antibiotics or whatever, they do something about it. If our minds, if there is mental illness, we need to go to a doctor, we need to work through those issues so that we can be uh, healthy. And so I don't want anything I say today for any moment be construed as like mental illness is a spiritual problem. It's true that some mental illness can be made worse by spiritual issues, but mental illness is not a spiritual problem. It's physiological in many cases, and it needs treatment. Please, if you're experiencing that, if the discernment process we go through, if the friends you talk to say, you know, you should see a doctor, Please see a doctor. Please get the help that you need to confront mental illness because it's an illness that we experience as humans and we need to work through those things. There's real pain also and real grief in many of our lives that are not a part of mental illness. COVID has intensified some conditions like depression. If you wrestled before with depression, you may wrestle more with depression after COVID. Some of us need to attend to our recovery if we're going to move forward to see the new day that Christ has for us. Many, many of us who do not have any diagnosis of an emotional disorder find ourselves emotionally disordered at the moment. 
if we're honest, we'd have to say we're out of whack. We're, we're just not firing on all cylinders. We're, we're not as steady as we once were. There are implications that are still affecting me from what I went through before. And so this morning, I'd like to take a moment to deal with how we recover from the fact that we're still feeling a little out of whack or things are disordered or things just aren't sort of working the way they used to or I'm not sure where I'm headed or, or how I, to use a contemporary phrase, how I get my mojo back, right? We're just, we're just disordered. And I look to Ephesians 3, 14, 21 to give us some very specific insight into how we bring ourselves into the presence of God to move towards greater health. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 3.14. I pray that according to the riches of his glory. So he starts out saying his resources to attack this problem are unlimited. That's good to know, right? Because you hate to go to the pharmacy to get an antibiotic and they say, oh, we don't have that on the shelf right now. Because that's like not helpful. But he says at the beginning, I pray that according to the riches of his glory. There's an inexhaustible supply of resources for whatever you're facing. Good news to start. That he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray, he goes on, that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us, did you catch that? His power is already at work within us his resources are unlimited. He's already working in this direction and he wants to complete this work that's already begun. So this whole thing I'm gonna talk about today isn't something you have to initiate yourself. God is already in the process of trying to deliver all of this to us, okay? Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. When you read these words of Paul, several things become immediately clear. Paul is praying that we will become rooted and grounded in love. If you think about it, the process of becoming rooted or grounded in anything is fundamentally a process. It takes time. There's no flip of a switch and you just say, oh, I think I'll be grounded in love today. It doesn't happen that way. I don't know if you've ever tried to root a plant or a cutting from a plant. It doesn't happen the minute you cut that little slip off and put it in the water. Roots don't magically appear. It's a process, it takes time, it takes sunlight, it takes water. There's things that must be done if we're gonna be rooted and grounded in love. By putting several habits into place, 
by choosing specific ways of responding, we can start the process of rooting our lives in love. This happens, Paul says, when Christ is already in your heart, okay? So we don't have any promises of this if we're not Christian, okay? The first step is you have to be Christian to receive the transforming work of God, the power of the Spirit to help you in this recovery process because it's Christ in you that is gonna be the way this happens. So let's be certain that we understand that first. It's Christ in us that's making this happen. And then the result of the grounding is, if we are going to be grounded and rooted in Christ, if, if that's gonna happen, the result is we will be strengthened in our inner being. That sounds to me like exactly the kind of thing we're wanting to have happen. We're feeling a little unstable, a little wobbling in our inner being at the moment. And Christ wants to see us rooted and grounded in him so that internally we can be stronger and can grow stronger from grace to grace. I confess there are lots of days these days when I feel weary in my inner being. And Paul writes this letter, includes this prayer that we can be stronger in our inner being. And this is something we have to give attention to. Now, as I said at the beginning, there are some of you who are already magnificently strong in your inner being. I'm not saying you should work harder and do more. If you're comfortable with the process and work that the Spirit is doing in your life, praise God. He is able to make us victorious in your life. If you are more like me, who's less comfortable with that and experiencing some weariness, then maybe parts of this process are for you. This little handout describes a process and invites us to work with the process of strengthening. And I would say consider this a, a spiritual strength training exercise and parts of it might be useful for you. The second thing that Paul says in this prayer is to appreciate how broad how deep, how wide the love of God is for you. This is an antidote to depression and desperation. God is not against you. God is for you. You matter to God. It is easy to believe when lots of bad things happen all at the same time to us that the universe is against us or God is against us or circumstances are against us. It's easy to believe that from time to time, but we Christians ought to know better, right? We've heard the words that say, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That God is working things together for the things, for those he's called according to his purpose. That if God is for us, who can be against us? All those magnificent words of Romans eight, they are for us. And we should be grounded in the truth of God's word, which tells us that God is for us. No matter what the circumstances around look like, God is for you. He is for your family. He is for our church. He is for our He is for us. And we can believe that. We need to stand on that. The third thing that Paul says is God is able to do much more then you can understand. Think about that. 
You may have a plan in mind for your future. God may have a better plan in mind for your future. He has solutions you can only dream about, and he has solutions better than your dreams. And because he loves you, he is motivated to help you work things out. If you will trust him, cooperate with him, release your pride, and follow his lead, he will take you to the new thing. I'd like to make just a few suggestions about how to cooperate with the Spirit. This little blue folder is a first step recovery guide based on Ephesians and Isaiah. In order to be strengthened by Christ, I need to take care of any business that's weighing me down to the extent that I can and according to the leadership of his spirit. So there are some things that make it hard for me to look up to God. There are just some things that do that. I have them listed on the inside. Fears keep me fixated on my problems. If there's something you're really afraid about, really worried about, working with the Holy Spirit to liberate you from that fear is important. I'm not saying that you'll necessarily conquer all your fears. I'm saying that if you wanna see the new thing that God is doing, you will have to invite the Holy Spirit to liberate you from obsessing about your fears. And if you don't know what those fears are, you don't have any opportunity to pray to the Spirit to ask Him to release you from those fears. And so I invite you in this first section, maybe later this week or even now, to acknowledge what fears you have that hold you back. What are you afraid of? So that on the other side of the paper, you can decide what you're gonna do about that fear. How are you gonna pray about that fear? What are you gonna ask God to do for you in the face of that fear. Now I know for some of us, this little space with four numbers is way too small. For some of us, it's much larger than we need. So you can always add extra papers or do this in your journal. But as I said, this is a starting place. Conquering fear is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not gonna be a light switch, you turn on and off. Not gonna work that way. It's a process but it's a process that he can take us through. The second thing is, are there things that so stress you out that you don't seem to be able to get release from them? What things are stressors in your life? Can you identify them? Until you identify them, you can't take them to the Father in prayer. And so I invite you to spend some time in prayer to say, Holy Spirit, what are the things that are stressing me out that are keeping me sidetracked? What, what consistent stressors weigh me down? Some of them you may not be able to do anything about other than ask the Father to make them less stressful to you. But it's a matter of identifying the stressor and then deciding what you're gonna do about it. Are you gonna pray about it? Are you gonna release some things? Are you gonna stop doing some things? I don't know what it might be, but identify those stressors. The third thing is, are there injuries that are keeping you sidelined. 
you know, there are things that happen to us in life that cause our lives to change very, very significantly. And some of those things can be very depressing for us and we've gotta find new ways of living. Sometimes God heals injuries, sometimes he chooses not to heal injuries. We don't understand his ways. My favorite line in a Dietrich Bonhoeffer prayer that I pray frequently is this. I do not understand your ways, but I know that you have a way for me. I don't understand all he's doing, but I know he'll make a way for me. Isn't that what Isaiah promises us? I will make a way through the desert, right? He's gonna make a way, Jesus is our way. And so if injuries need to be healed or accommodated spirit, you have to help us do that. The fourth thing is losses. We live an existence that is filled with losses. As a society, we don't do a great job of dealing with our losses. But knowing that the death rate among us is still 100% should give us a clue that we are all going to suffer losses at different times in our lives. And sometimes we just would rather pretend the losses didn't happen than actually acknowledge them and deal with them. And so if you've experienced losses, and I'm not talking only about the death of someone in your family, I'm talking about losses of job or security or of the dream you had for your child or who knows what that loss might be, that if you will list it here and take it to the Father, he will help you grieve the loss, which is the only way to process through it. Loss requires grieving. It requires conversation and working our way through it. And these things, these four things are all things we're gonna have to do in order to get to the place where we are more deeply rooted and grounded in Christ so that we can perceive, so that we can see the new thing that he's doing. Because any of these four things can keep us so fixated on the snake around our ankle that we can never look up to the bronze serpent on the pole. We can never look up to where Jesus is. What does the author of Hebrews say? say where we fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. That's where our eyesight needs to be. And for our eyes to be lifted to heaven, we've got to take these things to heaven as well. There are a few other observations I'd make. Recovery requires some measure of rest. It is easy to um, ignore the fact that as humans we need to sleep. If you're not sleeping well, that's a problem. What does your doctor have to say about that? What is it that's interrupting your sleep? Are you getting time away? I'm not talking just about vacation, I'm talking about Sabbath. Vacation, Sabbath, time away allows our lives to be more productive during the workday. Do you need to reestablish periods of recreation and separate them from the periods of work? Something I don't think folks have considered frequently is the fact that with so many of our folks now working from home, when, when the job is at home, it becomes much more difficult to separate the working hours from the non-working hours. When we were working in the office, we could leave work at work for the most part. And when we came home, we naturally shifted into a different set of reality. But when the office is at home, it's easy to be drawn back into the office or be drawn out of the office to home. And, and we lose 
the differentiation between time dedicated to work and time dedicated to rest. And it's easy for folks, especially overachieving folks, when the office is in the home, to always be drawn down to, well, I can do 15 more minutes, or, or if I just handle this problem, I'll be better ahead for next week, or if I just do this, and all of a sudden the workday expands and I don't get the rest and the separation that I need. Another thing we're going to have to do if we want to get actual rest is to look at the activities that take up time but do not provide real rest, do not provide escape from stress. My father told me a story. I'll take the risk of telling stories about my dad while he's sitting back there. Uh, When he was in his 40s, my father would spend his lunch hour working, uh, participating in a chess league and so, you know, he was a, a director of a research lab in a metal company. So it was an intellectual, cerebral kind of, of job. And he would, he would play chess with other people on his lunch hour until he realized, well, this is like adding stress to stress. Why, why am I adding stress to an already stressful job? And he made a switch and decided, I'm going to go outside and get exercise. And so for a while, he played basketball with some of the younger guys until... They got so violent and physical, they broke his hand and hit him in the nose and stuff like that. He decided he needed something a little less combative because, you know, the emergency room is not a way to mitigate stress. And so um, he started running more. And so in his lunch hour, he would go out, he would run a couple of miles or whatever. And, and that was a stress relief for him. He, he took an assessment. He realized this activity does not alleviate stress. It creates stress. I'm gonna do something else that can alleviate stress and help provide rest. Exercise can be that for you. It um, provides rest where television watching does not. If we're gonna have rest, another thing we're gonna need, many of us, is to inspect the level of our isolation. I'm not talking about introverts versus extroverts here. I'm saying there is the potential for us when we're feeling out of whack to isolate. That's not helpful to you because you lose the guidance of your brothers and sisters in Christ as you're working your way back from being out of sorts. And we've spent a lot of time in isolation. And for those of us who are really introverted and who like isolation, we've sort of had permission to isolate for two and a half years. But the kingdom of God is one of a community moving forward. And so we need to inspect our lives and see if there's too much isolation in it and make sure there is time for my brothers and sisters to speak back into my life. Procrastination steals rest from you. You say, ah, pastor, you're really meddling now. I know, I know. But one of the things that procrastination does very insidiously is keeping us to think about something we need to do. You understand if you have a project you need to get done, if you can go and do it, you no longer think about it, right? It's off the table, it's done. But as long as it stays on the table, you keep thinking about it. So if you're not quite ready to do it today, you put it off tomorrow, now you've been thinking about it for an extra day. If you don't do it this week, you get it next week, now you're thinking about it for an extra whole week. And procrastination very subtly increases our stress level. So by achievement, even tiny little things, little things 
like washing out that garbage can or I don't know what it is. Small step achievements help us resist procrastination and they help us to remove stress from our lives. Unproductive activities, when we reduce them, get rid of stress. The third thing I would say is this. No, this is the fourth thing I'm gonna say. If you're in serious trouble, look for help. Look for help. Seek counsel. If you're wrestling with something that is really disordering, I mean, none of us have been through anything like the COVID years before, and building a recovery plan to get by it may need another trained individual to help you. So seek counsel. Find a counselor or someone you can talk to who you can say, boy, I'm really out of sorts. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm experiencing. What do you think I should do? And let someone talk to you about your fears and your stressors and these types of things to help you work your way through that. Look for help. Get counsel. Find a friend to talk about it with. At a minimum, get yourself a prayer partner. If you don't have someone that you can routinely pray with, that you can say to, hey, I'm out of whack right now. I need to meet with you every couple weeks, once a month, I don't know what it is, but just so that we can pray together and I can be honest with you about the struggle I'm having and you can be honest with me and we'll just pray confidentially for one another to get through this. Don't be embarrassed. I'll tell you this straight up. The people who are elected to the church board of this church are so elected because we've designated them to be spiritual leaders. All of them are game to be your prayer partner. I haven't, to, I haven't told them this yet, but I'm putting them on notice right now. If you don't have a prayer partner and need one, you talk to any member of the church board, and unless they already have three others, they're gonna say yes. I'm talking same gender prayer partner, okay? So that you have someone you can talk to about your spiritual condition. It's important. It's part of the strategy to find our way back so that we can get to the place where like Caleb, we can actually see the promise of God and trust based on his character that he will deliver us and he will deliver the new day. This is the, the verses that precede the new thing verses from Isaiah 43. You're familiar with these verses, but listen to them again. Isaiah 43, one. Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are promised the presence of God in your struggles. You know that Matthew 28 says about the same thing, right? For lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Some of us need to get rooted and grounded. Some of us need to be strengthened in our inner being. Some of us need to get healthy 
if we are going to be able to lift our eyes to God and see the new thing he's bringing. I don't for a second believe a little handout like this is gonna resolve your problem, your sense of feeling out of whack. But I'm prayerful that as you read Paul's prayer from Ephesians, that as you take some of these steps, you will begin the process of seeing the kind of recovery that God has in mind for many of us. And that we will, be, we will be finding ourselves increasingly in the place where we can believe the new thing that he's bringing. That we can trust in his promises to us. And that we can be useful to him in the kingdom. I want to invite you to sing a song with me in closing, but let's pray uh, before we do that. Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful that you are the God of resurrection, that you are the God of the new thing, that you are the God who does not leave us alone but is present with us moment by moment, that it's your desire to strengthen us and, and to help us become deeply grounded in you. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would begin to accomplish that at a greater level in our lives. You know us, Lord. You know whether our roots run deep or are shallow. You know whether this current situation is just a result of the circumstances we've experienced or, or a symptom of some greater issue that we need to address. You know, Lord. And so we ask for your help. Draw us close to you. Strengthen us in our inner being. Help us to become deeply rooted and grounded in you for your glory. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing the verses of this hymn, Teach Me Your Way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me guiding grace afford. Teach me your way. Help me to walk aright. More by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light. Teach me your way. When I am sad at heart, Teach me your way When earthly joys depart Teach me your way In hours of loneliness In times of dire distress In failure or success Teach me your way doubts and fears arise, teach me your way. When storms o'erspread the skies, teach me your way. Shine through the cloud and rain, through sorrow, toil and pain. Make thou my pathway plain, teach me your way. Long 
long as my life shall last, teach me your way. Where'er my lot be cast, teach me your way. Until the race is run, until the journey's done, until the crown is won. Teach me your way. As I consider this sermon, I think of the words from Hebrews 11 again that remind us that not only is Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, it tells us that he's run this race before us. He knows every pitfall. And if we will keep our eyes on him, it's impossible for us to fail. Isn't that good news? It's impossible for us to fail if we fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the church. Don't fix your, your eyes on the governor. Don't, don't fix your eyes on your brother or sister. You fix your eyes on Jesus. And when we are committed to him, he guarantees our success. And so I want to send you out with words of confidence today that you will fix your eyes on Jesus. Gracious God, may these friends of mine fix their eyes on Jesus. May they run with endurance that they may receive the prize of their high calling in Jesus Christ. To your glory now and forever. Amen.